Section 108 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 139. London, April 22nd, Old Style, 1751. My dear friend, I apply to you now, as to the greatest virtuoso of this, or perhaps any other age, one whose superior judgment and distinguishing eye hindered the king of Poland from buying a bad picture at Venice, and whose decisions in the realms of virtu are final, and without appeal. Now to the point. I have had a catalogue sent to me, d'une trente à l'amiable de tableau des plus grands maîtres, appartenant au sieur Régnant à Perrin, valet de chambre de la reine, sur la quille de la mégesserie, au coin de Archemerion. There I observe two large pictures of Titian, as described in the enclosed page of the catalogue, number 18, which I should be glad to purchase upon two conditions. The first is, that they be undoubted originals of Titian, in good preservation, and the other that they come cheap. To ascertain the first, but without disparaging your skill, I wish you would get some undoubted connoisseurs to examine them carefully, and if, upon such critical examination, they should be unanimously allowed to be undisputed originals of Titian, and well preserved, then comes the second point, the price. I will not go above two hundred pounds sterling for the two together, but as much less as you can get them for. I acknowledge that two hundred pounds seems to be a very small sum for two undoubted Titians of that size, but on the other hand, as large Italian pictures are now out of fashion at Paris, where fashion decides of everything, and as these pictures are too large for common rooms, they may possibly come within the price above limited. I leave the whole of this transaction, the price accepted which I will not exceed, to your consummate skill and prudence, with proper advice joined to them. Should you happen to buy them for that price, carry them to your own lodgings, and get a frame made to the second, which I observe has none, exactly the same with the other frame, and have the old one new gilt, and then get them carefully packed up, and sent me by Rouen. I hear much of your conversing with Les Beaux Esprits at Paris. I am very glad of it. It gives a degree of reputation, especially at Paris, and their conversation is generally instructive, though sometimes affected. It must be owned that the polite conversation of the men and women of fashion at Paris, though not always very deep, is much less futile and frivolous than ours here. It turns at least upon some subject, something of taste, some point of history, criticism, and even philosophy, which, though probably not quite so solid as Mr. Locke's, is, however, better and more becoming rational beings than our frivolous dissertations upon the weather or upon whist. Monsieur Duclos observes, and I think very justly, qu'il il y a à présent en France une fermentation universelle de la raison qui tend à se développer whereas I am sorry to say that here that fermentation seems to have been over some years ago, the spirit evaporated, and only the dregs left. Moreover, les beaux esprits at Paris are commonly well-bred, which ours very frequently are not. With the former your manners will be formed, with the latter wit must generally be compounded for at the expense of manners. Are you acquainted with Marivaux, who has certainly studied, and is well acquainted with the heart, but who refines so much upon its plis et replis, and describes them so affectedly, that he often is unintelligible to his readers, and sometimes so, I dare say, to himself? Do you know Crebillon le Fils? 
He is a fine painter and a pleasing writer. His characters are admirable and his reflections just. Frequent these people and be glad, but not proud of frequenting them. Never boast of it, as a proof of your own merit, nor insult, in a manner, other companies by telling them affectedly what you, Montesquieu, and Fontenelle were talking of the other day, as I have known many people do here, with regard to Pope and Swift, who had never been twice in company with either, nor carry into other companies the ton of those meetings of beaux esprits. Talk literature, taste, philosophy, etc. with them, à la bonne heure, but then with the same ease, and more enjouement, talk pompon, more, etc., with Madame de Blot, if she requires it. Almost every subject in the world has its proper time and place, in which no one is above or below discussion. The point is, to talk well upon the subject you talk upon, and the most trifling, frivolous subjects will still give a man of parts an opportunity of showing them. L'usage du grand monde can alone teach that. That was the distinguishing characteristic of Alcibiades, and a happy one it was, that he could occasionally, and with so much ease, adopt the most different, and even the most opposite habits and manners, that each seemed natural to him. Prepare yourself for the great world, as the athleta used to for their exercises. Oil, if I may use that expression, your mind and your manners, to give them the necessary suppleness and flexibility. Strength alone will not do, as young people are too apt to think. How do your exercises go on? Can you manage a pretty vigorous sauteur between the pillars? Are you got into stirrups yet? Faites-vous au so aux armes? But above all, what does Marcel say of you? Is he satisfied? Pray be more particular in your accounts of yourself, for though I have frequent accounts of you from others, I desire to have your own too. Adieu. Yours truly and friendly. End of section 108. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.